We're turning the Bibles. Just go ahead and you can just open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at some things. We'll get to Ephesians 2 in just a little bit. We're looking, of course, at angels and demons. It's a great study because we're looking at truths dealing with these spirit beings. And these are beings created by God. And, you know, we'd say to ourselves, we'd say we're created by God. We know that. Each one created in the mother's womb. So we've been created by God. But then there's these beings that we cannot... What's the, am I saying? I'm sorry. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, you could, but you, you will be there in a little bit. These are beings created by God that we can't see. Every now and then they, 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 do, you know, they manifest themselves. So who are they? What do they do? And we looked at this and we said that there are both good angels and bad angels. Good angels are chosen by God. Sometimes we call them holy angels. They serve God and man. Then there are what we call the bad angels. Sometimes they're called fallen angels. Sometimes we call them demons. They oppose both God and man. And so when we started this study, we said there's a spiritual world or spirit world that we cannot see. We know that we've been seeing. We started with all the good angels. We started with three, four, five lessons dealing with good angels. And then we said we went to the dark side. Now we're looking at Satan. And, and then we'll get a little bit more on not besides Satan. We're going to get the, the, the demons as well. Uh, there was a rebellion of, of angels, uh, and, and God, of course, allowed this. There was a rebellion by angels. One we call the evil one, Lucifer, the son of the morning. That one, he left, and there are now two sets of angels, you might say, the good angels and the bad angels. And we're looking tonight, we're going to see Satan, and then, of course, later on, the demons, how Satan rules the world. And some people, when you see that, it, it bothers people. You say, you know, Satan is the god of this age. He's the god of this world. And people say, no, no, God is. Well, God is. God controls every aspect, but he has allowed Satan to have access to this world and to influence in this world. So we're going to see his domain and his plan and how all that fits tonight. So I think we start with a famous saying that people hear all the time is there's no such thing as a free lunch or there's no such thing as really something free or you don't get something for nothing. People just say this all the time. It appears, if something appears to be totally free, you say, what's, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch to it. When we think about the, the issue of salvation, there's often confusion when the subject of salvation is discussed. Because the message of faith, or it's supposed to be grace through faith, it seems, seems to be too, too good to be true. I mean, it seems too good to be true that you say that you believe, you believe in Jesus Christ for what? Eternal life, and you're saved, and you're saved for ever because eternal life means eternal life life forever with jesus christ and so when we tell people that salvation is a gift that jesus died and rose again whoever believes in him gets the gift of eternal life that's what his offer is some people say that that doesn't sound right because it sounds too easy or they say things like well you need to you you, you have you have to do something you you can't just believe in christ for eternal life and uh, there are a lot of people who say, well, that, 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 that's, that's, that's not enough. And so what are some things that people say that you need to do in order to, besides what we would say is faith alone and Christ alone, what do people say? What do some people say? Do, do good works, uh, keep the Ten Commandments, follow God's rules, uh, be the best you can be, do all these kind of things. And uh, the truth is, where do you find works for salvation in the Bible. It's not in there. There are works all the way through the Bible talking about believers and have living out their faith and those kind of things. But there's no place in the Scripture that says you do good works to be saved. And, and so where does this message of works come from? Where does it come from? 
It comes from Satan. It's the lie of the devil. It goes all the way back to the garden when he told Eve that she could be like God, knowing right from wrong and all those kind of things. And so we find that there's a, a false teaching Often, this false teaching of good works and things is really attractive. Most people, when you tell them, I mean, I've had people say to me, uh, you, you make it too easy for people to be saved. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there used to be a little lady that she'd come to church, and then at the end, and she was so sweet, but she'd go out the door, and she'd say, you're making it too easy for people to be saved. And I said, I said, no, it's just faith alone and Christ alone. So we're not making it too easy. But there are some people that when you tell them it's faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, they say there has to be something more to it. Well, where did a message come from that salvation is based on what you do? It didn't come from God because it's not in the Scripture. It came from Satan. So these, these, we're going to be going through this. We're going to be talking a lot of things and uh, thinking about Satan and the rebellion. As we look at our study, we're going to look at the devil, his message and ministry. There are two aspects as we study these fallen angels. One, our first focus, and that's in these last three, few, two or three lessons, in the next two or three lessons, we're going to focus on Satan. He's the leader of the fallen angels. Then we'll come back and we'll talk, talk, focus on the fallen angels, which we call demons. So we're going to have both of those in this. If you remember in the first lessons, we really hit on the good angels and how they relate to Father, how they relate to people, how they related to Jesus, and all of those things. Now we're looking at what I call the dark side. And, it, and it's, I think it's something we have to know, and we have to know that we're in a spiritual battle. There are demons in this room. There are good angels in this room, and that's, that's, there's a spiritual battle going on. So let's remind ourselves what we know about Satan. Satan was an angel who was... A beautiful angel who was placed at the throne of God, basically to as a as a, a anointed cherub. He rebelled against God in pride. He said, "I will be like God," and God removed him. And when he was removed, there's all kind of different things. Well, we looked last time at at some things. We looked at his sinfulness, and I think this is the top. Of, of the next page on your handout which says the devil and Satan. We looked at his sinfulness. He's evil from the beginning. Think about this. He opposes God and man. He sinned from the beginning. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He attacks believers. He is like a roaring lion so he may devour. That's, what, that's who he is. You cannot imagine how evil he is. And we all say, God, oh, Satan's evil. He's bad. We, do, we can't picture even in our minds, we can't picture how bad he really is. And we could probably think of the worst thing we could think of, and that's still not, that's still not what he's like. He opposes God, opposes man. He's hateful. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's everything. The, the second thing we saw is we saw his names, and his, his names were like the devil and Satan and Lucifer and the dragon, the serpent of old, the Lord of the flies, which is Beelzebub, that name. Those are names that are given to him in the Bible, and they're all over the place, and devil and adversary and Lucifer of the morning, the dragon. It goes all the way back. The Bible says serpent of Oh, it goes all the way back to the to the uh, to the garden. The Lord of the Flies, that Beelzebub, is is a title of a false god, and they call Jesus that. They said he's Beelzebub, and that's the Lord of the Flies. But that's a that's a devil's name. And so then from there we saw his position, the ruler of the fallen world, and his role in this world. We talked about that last week, and you saw it as we went through the quiz. And then last we talked about his activities. He's the tempter, the accuser, and the deceiver. Have you thought about it? Look at those three just those three things. He tempts us to do wrong. He is the accuser that he when we do wrong or he accuses us whether we do wrong or not, and he's a deceiver because he lies all the time. 
I mean, he tells you that this won't hurt you. He tells you that God doesn't love you. He tells you that the Bible is not accurate. He tells you that if God really loved you, this wouldn't happen to you. And I mean, I've had, what's, what's one of the statements that people make? If God is so loving, why do all these bad things happen? That's, that's, a, that's a devil's thing that he's put in people's minds. So we're, we're, we're going to see how it looks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start tonight with the devil. And we've got two things we're going to see. And if you've got questions, just stop me, of course. Or if I go too fast on a, on a blank and you don't get the answer, stop me. But we're going to look at his domain. And then we're going to look at his ministry, the plan. I'll give you a little bit of time to write that down. But we're gonna, we'll see it as we go through the thing. The domain really has the idea of where he is, what does he do, and then his ministry, his plan. And there's, I think there's a lot of things for us to think about as we go through this. Okay, y'all got that? Okay, so let's talk about Satan's domain. And when we say domain, we mean his place of authority, his place of rule. And he has authority in certain places, and it, it may surprise us, but uh, he, he, he controls the fallen world. He lives and moves and exercises his power in our fallen world system we call the cosmos. Okay? And, and so this is, this is what we have. And this whole system is, is warped. Listen to this. I, 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 I'm going to just read to you from Romans chapter 8. Just listen to what Romans chapter 8 says about our world. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to be reading verse 18 through about verse 22. Listen to what he says. Um, the suffering of this present time is not even worthy to compare to the glory. For the anxious longing of the creation, now the creation is longing, the creation eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. This creation is waiting for the angels and us and God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who subjected the world into futility? God, God allowed it. Listen, the creation itself, uh, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This world system is groaning. This world system is falling. We can, we can walk out and we can look at the beautiful sunsets and we can see the clouds and we say this world is beautiful and it is beautiful, but it's not beautiful to what it was. We can't imagine the garden. We can't imagine what this world was like before the fall. And now it is a fallen world. It, there are earthquakes and tornadoes and people dying. There's diseases and there are evil people and the people killing each other. There's, this is a fallen world system. And the whole system is groaning and saying, we're anxiously awaiting the return of the Savior. Jesus Christ. That's, that's the world we live in. And he lives and moves and exercises power in this fallen thing. So let's talk about, we're going to look at two things here when we, we see this. Number one, we're going to look at the believer's relationship to this world. What is our relationship to this fallen world? And then the second thing is we're going to see Satan's relationship to his world the cosmos. We're going to look at both of them. We've said this over and over. Here we are, a person, and we're, we're in this world. And there's a, there's a fallen world, and we're going to understand that Satan, and we'll see it more in a little bit, controls the fallen world. And this fallen world affects what? Our flesh. This is the battle. So as we live in this fallen world, how are we going to deal with it? What's going to happen? And so what I want us to look at is the believer's relationship to this world, okay? Let's start with that, the believer's relationship to this world. And this is us. 
This is us every day, in and out. We get up, we wake up, we do this. We know that we live in a fallen world. All we have to do is just look around us. Let me read something to you again from the book of Romans. And this is Romans chapter 12. Listen to what this says. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is 12, 1 and 2, to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is accept, you know, your special service of worship. He says, present your bodies. And then here's what he says. This is the key. Literally in the Greek it says, and stop being conformed to this what? World, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, you've heard me say this over and over. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. This world is shaping us, trying to, with the thoughts, the values, the everything in a fallen world system is pushing on us. And if we're not, and so we're going to talk about our relationship to it, if we're not on purpose saying, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to put God's Word in my brain. I'm going to obey the Scripture. I'm going to think heavenly things, not earthly things, so to speak. If I'm not consciously doing that, I will unconsciously be conformed and pushed and pressured into the views and the values and the thoughts of the world. I mean, we, you can just see it. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough to know that, that I watched Red Skelton and I watched some other shows. But then some of the shows today, they're so vulgar. But there's so many Christians that that's what they know. It's just shaped them. And they don't, they don't even think it's vulgar. They say, well, that's, that, that, he's funny. I said, that's not funny. That's nasty. We went to Branson with the, with the uh, seniors. And uh, there's a comedian we went to. And the comedian was hilarious. He never said a bad word. Everything he said it actually made you really laugh, and but but he didn't. He wasn't nasty at all. He just said funny things, and he said it in a funny way. And uh, so there, you don't you don't have to be nasty to be funny, but you you know you got to be. Well, look at this world; it is shaping everybody. And if we're not consciously saying, I'm not going to let this world do that. So let's talk about the background. Before salvation, as an unbeliever, we lived in the fallen world. Did did I tell you to be in Ephesians? Yeah, okay. Let's look at Ephesians for a second. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1, and he's going to talk about us. He's going to tell us how we were. He says, and you were, Paul Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He said, this is how you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Were we spiritually dead? We came into the world spiritually dead. And then he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this what? World. How did you live? As an unbeliever, how did you live? Like the world. Okay. Then he goes on to say, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit, which is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who's that? That's Satan. There he is. And then look at the third one. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our what? flesh. Look, there it is. Satan controls the world and the world affects our flesh. He says, you lived according to the world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And all of this affected your flesh. And it goes on to saying, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. That's how we were. And, and that's why unbelievers are in a fallen world. They've got Satan controlling all this, pushing on us. And that's how we live. That's how they lived. We're in it now. We don't have to live that way. In fact, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we believed, believed in Christ for eternal life. And so the moment we believed in Christ, we have eternal life. Now, when you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, Jesus took you to heaven to be with him so you wouldn't be in this world anymore. That's not true, is it? We're still in it. 
we're still in it. But here's something I want you to see, and this is pretty amazing. And he uh, says that he's delivered us. Are you ready for this? From this world. Watch this. Delivered us from the fallen world. Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. So that he might rescue us from this present what? The age. Aeon. According to the will of our God and Father. He's rescued us. We don't have to be caught in this fallen world. And be conformed to the world. And fall in this world. And do what this world says. Why? Because he's rescued us. Now. Watch this. That doesn't mean that we're, we are in this world, but we're not of the world anymore. John 17, 14, Jesus is talking. He said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. You understand that as a believer, we're still in the world, but we're not of this world. Where's our citizenship? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, say that again. Uh, uh, no, this is this is this is basically saying that the will of God is that He rescues us from this present age when we believe. Yes, yeah. This is not saying anything about making you believe. He's just saying He gave Him for us so He can rescue us from this present age. According to the will of God, of God and Father. That God's will is that it rescues us from this present age. That's what he's saying there. Okay, but good, great question, great question. Okay, so he, we've trusted, believed in Christ. We're in this world, but we're not of the world. And, he's, and so he says, just think about that. He's not of the world either. And there's a difference between being in the world and of the world. Unbelievers are of the world, because that's what it is. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And there's, there's more, and there's more, and that is we're hated by the world. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that hating me for what hate you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. But you are not of this world. I chose you out of this world because uh, of this the world hates you. You understand that as a believer, the fallen world system hates you. And you wonder why, why Christians have been persecuted all throughout history. Why believers have always been persecuted. Because this is a fallen world system controlled by who? And who does he hate? He hates God and you. He hates you. And, and so he says, listen, the world hates you. And it does. And, and we got to remember, we all say something like, who is the enemy? The enemy is not people. The enemy, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces, against wicked you know, things in heavenly places. So one of the things you, you've got to grasp is that we were, we were in the world. We believed in Jesus Christ, and we've been, we, we've been, we're still in the world, but we've been taken out of it in that sense, and the world hates us. So what, what is our responsibility? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Throw it out. Uh-huh. Also, the, the scriptures, the living word that cuts through flesh and all that. So how is it, uh, is it fair to say that every, every false teacher, for example, are no believers? No. No. Do you, uh, I, let, I know this is a little off the subject, but what you're saying is, here's the question. So as a believer, we, we, we got a body and a soul and a conscience 
and a flesh. And as a believer, we have the human spirit, which cannot sin. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we have the Word of God. We have all of this. So what are we supposed to do? There's a battle going on, and we're supposed to live righteously and godly. Was your question that, that when there's false teaching, does that mean the false teacher is an unbeliever? Not necessarily. And the false teacher, uh, there are probably believers who are false teachers. And in fact, in some of the some of the first and second Timothy, and those, he talks about some of the people who are who who are false teachers, and that they've forgotten the one who saved them or purchased them. And so there can be believers who are false teachers. There are unbelievers who are false teachers. If you remember the passage uh, about, he talks about false prophets over there in the Matthew seven and those kind of things. So, What do you mean be a bad person? Because, okay, so how can a person who knows the Bible act completely wrong? Because he lives like this right here. That's the bent to sin. And any time we live in the flesh, the flesh is never wants to please God, is always contrary to God. So when we walk in the flesh, we're, you know, if we walk in the Holy Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if we're living in the flesh, we are living contrary to God. And that's called sin. And so even, even the best of people, all of us sin. All of us fall short of God's glory. Some people continue to live in sin. And, and, and there are believers who are, are living bad lives. And that's why we always say to people, you can't look at a lifestyle to determine if a person is a believer or not. Because they could be a believer living badly or a believer living good. It could be an unbeliever living good or an unbeliever living badly. And so you cannot look at lifestyle. That's why there's the battle going on. And people don't like to admit it, but every, any believer is capable of any sin. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we'll do the wrong thing. So does that help a little bit? Okay. All right. So... Um, we, the world hates us. I mean, so what do we do? How, how's the plan? Well, here's the plan. We are sent into this world. And that's what's, what's hard, is we're going into a, a world that is controlled by the devil, that affects our flesh, and we go into a fallen world system as ambassadors, and you, I think you've got them right there, as ambassadors, as strangers and pilgrims, and as citizens of heaven. That's what we're doing. We're going out into that. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're going out telling people they need to be reconciled to God because Jesus has done it all. And when they believe in him, they get eternal life. We're going out as strangers and pilgrims. What does that mean, strangers and pilgrims? This is not our what? This is not our home. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. He left us down here to carry out a ministry. He's left us to do, to do the ministry of reconciliation, which is to tell people how Jesus Christ has, can, has brings people back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Story of the Bible. We go, we go into this world as citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. And so the bottom line is our relationship to this world, we, we have been taken uh, uh, out. Of, we're not of the world. We're still in the world. Uh, we, the world hates us. Uh, the, we're not, and, and yet we're sent into this world uh, to to proclaim the greatest message of all. That's why I, you know you've hear me a lot of times talk about the, the salvation message, and that it needs to be really clear 
because people are confused and they say a lot of things that are that are confusing. Some people just don't know. They don't know. They've never been taught or they've they've heard the wrong message almost all their lives. But we haven't heard the wrong message. We have the right message. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And salvation is a gift and the offer is life forever with Jesus and whoever believes is saved forever. It is not their works. It is not their goodness. It is not their faithfulness. It is faith alone and Christ alone. So we are ambassadors, strangers and pilgrims in a fallen world because our citizenship is in heaven and we've been sent out of this world. So that that's our relationship. Any any questions, comments? That's, that's our relationship to this fallen world. We lived in it. We've come out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is it possible for a believer to lose their salvation? That is really a great question, and here's what you think. The moment you believe, what do you get? Eternal life. Now, how long is eternal life? Forever. So the moment you believe, you get eternal life. So can eternal life end? So then you cannot what? Lose your salvation. Now, you can get out of fellowship. You can sin, you can be disciplined by God, you could actually die, but eternal life, it starts the moment you believe in Christ, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life, will never come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So when a person believes in Jesus, they're saved and saved forever. Does, does that help? Yeah, okay, so that, that's, that's probably the best news that we could ever know, right? I mean, what, 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 yes? Okay, so you're a believer, and what do you get? Eternal life, and then you turn away from God. Do you still have eternal life? Well, it's eternal life. It can't end, can it? So, salvation would be based on your faithfulness. And salvation is not based on our faithfulness, is it? Isn't it, isn't it the gift of God? Not of works, lest anyone should boast, not on our faithfulness. So the bottom line is, can you be a believer? Can you believe in Jesus, have eternal life, and then live contrary to the Bible, and even say, I don't believe it anymore? It, right, it's not based on your faithfulness. If it is, then salvation is works and not faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should ever, what? Boast. So I hope, I hope that makes sense, because it, a lot of people don't understand grace. What do you get when you believe? Eternal life. Can it end? No. If it could end, it wasn't what? Eternal. Eternal life. He'd have to say, I'll give you life until you sin again, or life until you fall away. He doesn't say that. I give you eternal life, and you shall what? Never perish. Does that help? Yeah. It's powerful stuff. I mean, there are so many people that go through life living in fear because they're so afraid they're going to turn away from God or they're going to sin or they're going to do something wrong and they're going to lose salvation. You can't lose salvation. When you believe in Christ for eternal life, He gives you eternal life and it's not based on your faithfulness, righteousness, goodness, anything. It is based on Him. He is the one that's holding on to you. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Nobody can pluck them out of my hand. My, God, my Father's, you know, gave them to me. He's greater than all. Nobody can pluck them out of my Father's hand. God is holding on to you. You're not holding on to God. So I hope that helps, right? I mean, that's a, what is, is that the greatest message of all time? What? Wow, great questions, great questions. Uh, I guess maybe we ought to get back to angels. But anyway, this is really good stuff. Okay, so now let's go to the hard one, and that is Satan's relationship to the fallen world, which we call the cosmos, and that's, that's, that's really it. And when you think about this, 
Uh, this is his domain. Look at this right here. The world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It sounds funny to say it, but we say, okay, who is, who is God? He, he controls everything. And yet God has allowed Satan to control this fallen world system, whether it's the cosmos or whether it's the aeon, whatever it is, this whole idea, he gets to do it. And so it says, we know we're of God. And the whole world, this world system, lies in the power of the evil one. So think about this. God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then he created the world and, and six days, and he created man, and he put man in the garden, and he said, I'm, I'm going to get you a woman pretty soon, just a minute, we'll get all the animals through here, and then we'll get you a woman, and then here's what I want you to do, I, I want you to rule this world, you are the king of this world, you realize that Adam and Eve, the king, he was the king of the world. He said, be fruitful and multiply, you have dominion over what? All the animals, all the, everything, he's the king, and then what happened? He failed. And he lost the kingship. He got removed from the garden. Who's the king of the world now? Satan is the king of the world. See, that's the problem. And then, what's going to happen one day? Jesus is going to come back as the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's the king of the world. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. First Adam was king and lost it. Second Adam comes and gains it back and rules forever. So we're in a, uh, this is a fallen world system. And, you know, and we, we can look at it and say, I hate it. We do, we do. Think about this. In Luke, you don't have to turn there. Satan offered the world to Jesus. You know that. In the temptation, what does he say to Jesus? Come up on top of this mountain. See, all the kingdoms of the world, this can be yours if you do what? Worship him. Because see, what does Satan want to be? He wants to be God. He wants to be worshipped. And so, did Satan have the right to offer to Jesus the world? Jesus didn't say, that's not your world. Jesus said, get out of here. I'm not going to worship you. I worship the Lord God. So this fallen world belongs to him. He offered it to Jesus. We would say, we don't like that at all. Well, don't worry. One of these days, Jesus is going to come back. In fact, what will happen is this fallen world system. Psalm 2, Jesus comes and rules with a rod of iron. I don't know if I, do I have, yeah. What will happen to this fallen system? You can write these verses. I think y'all, are y'all on page 49 or something like that? Yeah, I, okay, so what happens? At Psalm 2, Jesus rules with a rod of iron. You don't have to put all this down. Daniel 2 and 7 talks about he comes as the king. Revelation 19, 11, what happens? The heavens open, and Jesus comes back. And then I, I want to read this. I want to read this to you while y'all are writing those down. This is Matthew 24. Just, just to give you an idea, because this is Jesus talking about the tribulation and the end of the tribulation. He says this, this, listen, this is Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the skies, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming 
on the clouds of the sky with his power. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And then chapter 25, verse 31 says, And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. He's the king of the world. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He takes the throne of his father David and he's going to rule. So what's going to happen to this fallen world system? It's going to be over with because Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to control all of these things and he's going to, he's going to be the king of kings and Lord of lords and do it all. So with that in mind, let, have you all got this? Are you all okay? Okay, with that in mind, let's talk about his plan. Okay, Satan's ministry and his plan. And here it is, very simply put, he desires to be worshipped, right? What happened, what happened in, in the, uh, when he was the uh, anointed cherub? What happened there? He wanted to be what? He wanted to be God. He's always wanted to be worshipped. And uh, that, that's, that's his plan. So let me show you something. I've got A, B, C, and D. I'm going to put them up as we go. In fact, I think they're all up there at one time, I think. Yeah. Okay, let's look at this. He desires to be worshipped. At his fall, what do he want to be? Like God. When he tempted Jesus, what did he want? While you're writing, I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go to Matthew four for a second, okay? While you're while you're writing those down. Matthew four, verse nine. Uh, well, verse eight. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. In the temptation, it was that he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like God. That's his desires to be worshipped. He possesses the Antichrist. We've been talking about this on Sunday morning. The Antichrist is a human being. Is that correct? But what happens? Satan comes and empowers him and possesses him and... and uh, he dies and comes back from the dead. He, he claims to be God. He does all these things. Listen, when Satan claims, when the Antichrist claims to be God, that's Satan saying, I'm God because I, I put this man in that power. Yes. Oh, okay. Question. Yeah. Was there a slide? Okay, okay, so the question is, when Jesus comes back, is there going to be what? A new world or this world? Okay, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, he'll come back to this earth. He will set up a kingdom in Jerusalem, this Jeru our Jerusalem, and he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. He will rule for 1,000 years. It's called the millennial kingdom. That's Revelation chapter 20. He will rule the king as the king of kings and lord of lords on this earth. We will be with him. We'll have glorified bodies and we will rule with him on this earth for a thousand years. The world is going to be better. The book of Isaiah says that during this kingdom time, the lion will lay down with the lamb. It'll be, it'll be like a paradise again, but not perfect because there'll still be sin in this fallen world. Then there'll be a great white throne judgment and then he makes a new heavens and a new earth, and he makes a new Jerusalem, and that's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So when he comes back as the king that we're talking about, it's on this earth, and he rules actually for a thousand years from Jerusalem. What we've been talking about on Sunday morning is that King David rules with Jesus in Jerusalem. He's under, of course, he's under Jesus, but he's going to rule there. Okay, so he tempted Jesus. He possesses the Antichrist, and all false worship is Satan. 
Do you understand that? That when people say there are all these gods like Buddha and something else, and they're going to worship this God and worship, there aren't any other gods. There's only one God, and there's the true God. Everything else comes back to Satan, who's not a God. What is he? He's an angel. So just remember that. But all false worship is actually Satan. That's what it is. It all goes back to him. So we'll remember that. Um, he, let me, let me yeah, look at the times. Right. He also, number two, he has a counterfeit program. We saw it on Sunday morning. He, everything he does is, is counterfeit. Okay, counterfeit. Look, look at Ephesians. Uh, well, don't turn there. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He thinks he's a king. He thinks he's ruling. He has a fa- counterfeit system. Okay, the A. You got a little A. Is that right? Okay, here it is. He has a religious system. It's a counterfeit system. Second Corinthians eleven verses fourteen and fifteen says Satan disguises himself and his workers. They disguise themselves as angels of light. And what's the, I'm going to put the verse up. Y'all, can, is that okay? Look at this. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deed. Listen, the, the Satan and, and the people, there's angels with him and everything else. All, they, they, it's a false message. It's a false everything. They come and they try to... That you, they think it looks right. Let me show you this. It, it's 2 Timothy 3. It says it's a system that looks godly. Listen, there, there are cults out there that look godly. They look like they're right and they're good. And they're not because they're diff- different from the Bible and they're contrary to the Bible. Uh, this is what? 1 Timothy? Uh, 2 Timothy 3. Let me, let me read this to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but realize that in the last days, when did the last days begin? Think about this. We talked about this a lot of times. People are all confused. When did the last days begin? At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Book of Hebrews tells us that in these last days, talking about after Jesus, we have the thing. So we're in the last days, been in the last days for a long time, but we're getting closer and closer to the last of the last days, right? And so it says, in these last days, difficult times will come. Have they come? Are they difficult times? But men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than loving to God. Uh, Is that what you see? And then listen to this next thing. Holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied the power. They look right. False things. False things all the time. And so they have, they have um, three real things here. I've got them for you. First, they have false doctrine. They have false teaching. And um, I'm going to read to you this over here. First Timothy chapter 4. When you deal with cults, when you deal with anything uh, from, the, by, from any organization, whether they claim to be Christian organization or not, you always have to say, what did they say about Jesus? What did they say about the Bible? And what did they say about salvation? 
because you have groups that say they're Christians, but then you say, who is Jesus? And it's not the same Jesus. Or if you say, how is a person saved? And they put works and things in there. Or if you'll say, what about the Bible? And they say, well, we've got some other documents and other books that go with the Bible. You've got to be really careful. And so there's always a false teaching. Listen to this. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says, in the latter times, where are we? Latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Now, falling away from the faith means moving away from the truths of the Bible. Okay? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrine of demons. You want me to read what he says that are doctrine of demons? Okay. By means of hypocrisy, they're liars. They sear their own conscience. They forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from certain foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. That's the two things he mentions in this passage. Forbidding marriage and not eating certain foods. I'm not going to say any more. Okay? We all know. We know. So that's a false doctrine. And, and people have moved away from the faith, which is the body of truth. So there's false doctrine, but there's more. Let me get the page for you here. They have a false message. We've talked about it already tonight. What's the false message? Just do good. It's good works. The message is, it's good works. And let me just tell you something. You can walk into this town on the streets, and if you are bold enough and stop and ask a person, what do they think they have to do to go to heaven? You're going to find that most people will say, uh, live a good life, try to do good things, uh, be a good person, uh, go to church, uh, get baptized, uh, be religious, read the Bible. I mean, they're going to say all those kind of things because they all have been fooled with this message that what we do saves us. It's not what we do saves us, it's who saves us. And the who is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. So we got a false false teaching, false message, and we got a false trinity. What's the trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They have Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. We've been seeing it on Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation of what's going on there. And it's, it's wild. And... Uh, it's a, everything's a counterfeit. A counterfeit trinity, a counterfeit message, a counterfeit savior, everything. I mean, because you think about it, in the book of Revelation, who dies and comes back from the dead? The Antichrist. Does that sound familiar? Right, okay. And so he's completely in opposition to Christ in every aspect. I, I, think, I think it might be good. Let me, I think I've got this verse right here. Look, well, no, I don't. Let's turn to 1 John. I think you need to see something. 1 John chapter 2, okay? That's way toward the back. And this might surprise you, because we, what do we call the, the man of sin during the tribulation? What do we call him? We call him the Antichrist. Everybody says Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, what's he called? The beast. Okay, but the, it's okay to say Antichrist, even though he's not called that, because he's called something in other places. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. I hope you're there. Look what it says. Children, it is the last hour. Is it the last hour? When did John write this? He probably wrote it around 90 to 95 A.D., because he died not too long after 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 
and Revelation, okay? We think he wrote the Gospel of John earlier, and then toward the end of his life, he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation was the last book he wrote. He was on the island of Patmos probably around the year 95. He was probably in his 90s. He was the youngest of the the apostles. He lived the longest. And so here he is, and he writes, uh, it's the last hour. Uh, You could say, uh, John, that was like, uh, how long ago? 2,000 years ago? It's still the last hour to the Lord. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. We we don't grasp his time in the same way. But look what he goes on to say. Just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. And literally, I think he's saying the Antichrist is coming. Even now, watch this, many Antichrists have appeared For this we know that is the last hour. What does he mean, many antichrists? An antichrist just means contrary to Christ. And anyone who has a false message, anyone who says Jesus is not the way, they're antichrist, and they could be called an antichrist. Now, there is the literal one we call the beast that comes up out of the sea. He's literally an antichrist and the antichrist. But... uh, that that this is this is what's going on. So we got a lot of stuff here uh, that we've seen. So let's talk about for just a second this 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 false thing. He's got a false doctrine, false teaching that most of us have heard all our lives. People will whether whether a church taught the Bible or not. There sometimes you'll go and you'll talk to somebody, and they they have teaching that really doesn't match the Bible. And you could say, where do they get this? And what, what comes up with this? And so there's a false teaching. We have, and let me go back here for just a second. We have this false message of good works. I think that's the one that I'm amazed at. And y'all asked some great questions tonight about eternal life. One of the greatest lies of the devil is you could lose salvation if you ever got it. That's one of the great lies. Let me throw something out for you just to show you. When we talk about the Bible and the message, let's just say this is Jesus dying on the cross, paying for sin, and we're in the church age now. As the church age went on and we got into 70 A.D., the, you know, Jerusalem was ransacked by the Romans and everything was destroyed. And, and there are all these believers and all the letters were written 45 A.D., the book of James, and then Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John a little bit later on, the book of Acts and Luke went together. And then you had all of Paul's 13 letters and Peter. And, then, and you get all the way up and, and you have the truths of the Bible. And, and it's pretty clear. And you get all the way up to 95 in the book of Revelation, and, and you have the truth. And how, does anybody remember how the book of Revelation ends? Revelation 22, basically 16, said, you know, take the water of life, what? Without cost. The book, everything ends in Scripture with salvation is a gift, and, and when, you're, when you believe, you're what? Saved forever. Okay. When you get to a hundred, and then all the all the apostles are gone, the scripture the scripture that you hold in your hand is exactly the scripture in about a hundred A.D. You may say, "Oh, it's been messed up and everything." No, it's not. In fact, when 
the Old Testament was put together by the time of Christ. Everything that we call Old Testament was already put together completely at the time of Christ. It was called the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim, the Law, the Writing, and the Prophets. And those books were all put together. And when Jesus and them talked about Scripture, they talked about those three sections. Now, some of them had different names. Instead of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, they had 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, 4 Kings. Some of the things were in different orders. The book of Daniel was in a different place. But the Scripture was exactly what we have today. Then, all of this being put together, by the time you get to 100 A.D. and you read the writings of the fathers, that Bible, this New Testament, is exactly what we have today. So you don't ever need to worry and say, I hope the Bible's accurate. It is so accurate. There's over 6,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, many of them within 150 to 200 years. And so it's the best attested thing in the world. But what happened beginning about 120 to 150 more persecution came, but some of these, what they called them the church fathers, some of them quoted scripture all the time. They would write and they would say, as Paul would say. But then some began to say things like, there has to be a baptism for salvation. Some of them said that uh, Israel is, is, you know, is they, they killed Jesus. And, and all of these writings, and by the time you get up to about 300 Already there are, there are things that are contrary. And let me just say one thing about it. It's always been that way. When Paul, in, in the, the early years, 55, 56, 57, 58, when he traveled to Galatia on the first missionary journey, he told them that salvation was a gift by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. He left there. A group came in called Judaizers and told them, you can talk about salvation, but you have to keep the Mosaic law to be saved. Paul writes the book of Galatians to counteract that. So already, early, there's, con there's confusion on salvation message. Acts chapter 15. They had a church council because some people were teaching if you didn't become, if you were a Gentile, you had to become a Jew to become a Christian. You had to keep the law to be saved. And so the whole church came together with James, the Lord's half-brother, with Peter, Paul, all of them there, and they decided, they said, no, salvation is a gift by faith both for the Gentiles and for the Jews. So already there's always issues. By the time it got this far, there's issues. And by the time it got to 300, when Constantine declared Christianity the, uh, the religion of Rome, suddenly everyone was a Christian because Rome was Christian nation. And the messages began to be confused. And if you remember, that's when the church, not the body of Christ church, but the organized church came to power and has been a power ever since and those kind of things. And there's been confusion ever since. And under, under there's two major groups in the world. There are those who believe that, that you do good. I call it front-loading. You have to do good to be saved. You have to do something. And then I call it backloading that says you can believe in Jesus, but you have to do good works. And if you don't do good works, you lose your salvation or you never had it. And so you have two groups of people. These people always say, I hope I have done enough. And they never know, so they don't know if they're saved. These people say, I hope I have done enough. And they never know, 
so they're never, they never know if they're saved. And so we've got huge numbers of people in this world who may or may not have believed in Christ for eternal life, but they don't know they're saved. And they go through life living a life of fear rather than a life of love. And this is why it is so important to me that you understand that the moment you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're believing that he gives you eternal life. What does he give you? Eternal life. And how long does it last? Forever. And you're saved and you're saved forever. And whether you're faithful or not has no bearing on his promise to you that I give you eternal life and you will never perish. So if you're in this room and you doubt your salvation or you're scared or you're wondering, you need to come talk to me more because I'm going to make sure you understand you're saved. If you've believed in Christ for eternal life, you're saved forever and you can never lose it. And the lie of the devil is you can't ever know. And you're gonna, and if you are a believer, the lie of the devil is you're never gonna serve him because you don't even know if you're saved. So I, I, I'm sorry, I got off on that tangent, but this is this is so powerful. Yeah, any any questions, any input, anything? Because this is, about, I mean, this is, I mean, we're talking about angels and stuff, but the lie of the devil is that first of all, you can't know if you're saved or not. 1 John 5.13, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Can you know that you are saved? Yes. And if you don't know you're saved, come talk to me. Because I'm, I, you know, I have a friend, I have a friend that he, he uh, always says that he's, he's got some people and they've got such a confused message, they confuse everybody. And he always says, yeah, they'll come meet with you and they don't know if they're saved and in a few minutes you won't know you're saved, you know. So, you know, so we, you got to know it. Okay, here, let's get number, let's see. So that's the, the false things. Okay, they're in opposition to Christ. Let's get the third thing. I know we're going to be through early so we can have a lot of good questions. We can't leave, remember? You're locked in here because you can't leave because the kids. But anyway, Satan's plan for the fallen world system. What is his plan for this system? Well, the bottom line is what? He wants to rule as God. He, he wants to live out on this earth and he's doing it. He's going to do it at a certain time. Through who? Through the Antichrist. Listen, the last three and a half years of the tribulation is the Antichrist has an idol up in the temple and the Antichrist is claiming to be God. Who is possessing the Antichrist? Satan. That's, his, that's how he's going to rule. I mean, that's his plan. And, and uh, that's, that's what he wants to do. Let me get this page here because we're almost uh, through and we can talk about this. Look at this. Second Thessalonians. Uh, he says, it talks about he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's the Antichrist, but he is possessed by the devil when he does this. And so that's, that's why it's, it's so, so amazing. Now, what's going to happen? And I want you to see this because I think it's wonderful. Uh, what the end will come. I want you to turn, and we're going to look at this real quickly, and then we'll have time for some questions after I show you the quiz and everything. The end is going to come. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. We already have seen uh, that, that this Satan and this beast and all of those things are coming, and we're going to see what happens. Revelation 13, 1 and 2. Are you all there? Everybody pretty much there? Uh, the dragon stood on the, sea sh the, stood on the sand of the seashore. Who's the dragon? That's Satan. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Who's the beast coming up out of the sea? Antichrist. He had ten horns and seven heads. The seven heads are the seven Gentile world empires. Ten horns is the ten king federation. And then it says uh, down in verse 
uh, basically verse 3 and 4, uh, uh, had this head as, as if there was a fatal wound. And everybody was amazed and followed after him. And then here's the key, verse 4. They worshipped the dragon. Who's the dragon? So who's getting worshipped there? What does he want? He wants to be worshipped. This is, this is his big day. And it says, and he gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, who said, who is like this beast, who's able to make war with him. And then it says he, he got to do this for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. That's the last part. Then it talks, the beast has the power from the dragon. That's in chapter 12. But I just want to end this with Revelation 19. So I want you to turn over there, okay? Because... Uh, when we've when we've been studying on Sunday morning, and all this stuff is happening, and all the horrible stuff is happening, and we just had Revelation chapter thirteen last week, and we saw the beast and the anti you know antichrist and the beast and the dragon and the the false prophet and all these people being killed and taking the mark of the beast and all of those things, we say, oh, this is horrible. But Revelation nineteen, look at verse eleven. I saw heaven opened. Now let me do this real quickly, just for a second. You need to understand where we are. And this will go back to that good question you asked a while ago. Great question. So here's Jesus dying on the cross, paying for sin. Here's the church age. This is us. Then here's the rapture when Jesus Christ comes and takes us off the earth. Then here's a seven-year time period called the tribulation. Three and a half. First three and a half. Last three and a half. Okay. And then at the end of the tribulation, the heavens open. I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse... And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Who could that possibly be? That's Jesus. And in righteousness, what does he do? He judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. I remember I (laughs) heard a guy teach you one day, and he said, "I, I, I uh, I know that name there. No, it says nobody knows but him. You know, it's just like the people who'll say, we know when Jesus is coming back, here's the date, it'll be March 13th, you know, and you want to go, you can't say, the Bible already says nobody knows, so don't be saying you know. And people say, I wonder, I know, I think I know that name. No, you don't know that name, only he knows that name. Now watch this, he is clothed with a robe dipped in what? Blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, ooh, who could that be? Clothed in fine linen, White and clean were following him on white horses. Who could that be? That's us. Here he's coming. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're coming with him. And he's coming to set up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. Now watch what it does. Because this is what's so powerful. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name. What's his name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's the original king of the earth? Adam. Who, who lost it? Who took it? Who's going to take it back? Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he's doing. He's coming. And then, I mean, this beautiful. So verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. By the way, we're going to get to it on Sunday mornings as we get a little further on. But toward the end, all the armies of the world come together to destroy Jerusalem. And that's when the nation of Israel calls upon the name of the Lord and he leaves and he comes and we're coming with him and he's going to deal with them. Watch verse 20. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in the presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, 
were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Who's going to be the first two thrown into the lake of fire? The, no, not Satan. This is the beast and the false prophet. Okay, so this is not Satan. The first ones thrown in the lake of fire is the, is the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then he says, because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, we're going to see it on a Sunday morning. He's going to kill, there's going to be so many people die that blood will be as high as a horse's bit in a valley. It's going to be that high. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of them who was set on the horse and all the birds were filled with this flesh. They're going to come eat all those dead people. That's what they're planning. Now, then what happened? I saw an angel coming down out of heaven holding the key of the abyss. Oh, an abyss. What is that? It's a big old hole, right? And he came and, and what did he do? He laid hold of the dragon. Now let's make sure who this is. The dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan. He said, I don't want you to miss that. I'm giving you all four of his names here. And what does it say? And they bound him for thousand years. So Satan is bound here. Now, the, 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 the Antichrist and the beast are already cast into the lake of fire. The LOF. Okay, and anyway, so then Satan's in this big hole for how long? thousand years. And so Jesus rules. And then, verse 7, and when the thousand years are completed, what's going to happen? Satan will be released. Now, her question earlier was, will it be this world? Yeah, this thousand years is this world, our world. Satan will be bound. These two bad people are gone. Uh, and so the world is going to be so much better. But there are going to be unbelievers born during the thousand-year reign who will reject Jesus Christ, which we look at that and go, what is wrong with you? And anyway, they do. And so Satan is released for a short time. There's a big battle they called the second battle of Gog and Magog. And uh, the verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the end of the thousand years, the, and the, Satan comes up, and then he's thrown into the lake of fire. This is going to be a thing called the great white throne judgment. And we'll talk about that some other time. But the, what I want you to see is Satan's... Satan's kingdom is, is a very short time. In fact, probably, uh, as, as far as ruling this fallen world, him actually ruling on this world is probably three and a half years. But he's ruled the whole world for all this time. Okay, let's, let me get through so we can have some time for questions. So here's some applications, just that you can write them down. Let, let's realize we're in a spiritual battle. I mean, it is a spiritual battle. That's what it is. And I'm going to put this right here. So we've got to know the Bible, put on God's armor, and draw near to God. That's the only way you can have victory. That's why you can be a believer and live badly. If you're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're living in the flesh, you can live badly. And so we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to put on the armor of God, which is found in Ephesians 6, which is defensive, and then get as close to God as we can so we can have victory in the spiritual battle. So let's realize that we're in a spiritual battle. Everybody got that? Just know the Bible, put on God's armor, and draw near to God. Okay, everybody ready for the next one? Okay, here's the next. Let's realize that God will carry out judgment on Satan. When we see Satan, and he's evil, and there's going to be a day when we're on this earth, and he'll be bound, and he can't, he can't touch us. And then there's going to be a time he will be cast in the lake of fire and we'll go into eternity with Jesus Christ. So for us, the old saying, this is, a, this is the worst we're going to ever have it. 
And then we're going to be up there. We'll be with Jesus. We come back. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And, that, and that's, that's not the rapture. That's if you die physically. But, but the rapture, he's coming back. Okay. Uh, the enemy, the world, is cl- it, it will be cleansed and righteous. And the flesh will be gone. That, to me, when we say the flesh will be gone. Uh, let, me, let me just draw this real quickly. What is so amazing is here we are. Look at this. this, is, this you'll love this. We have a body, a soul, a conscience, a flesh, a human spirit, and the Holy Spirit. That's where we are. But when we are taken off the face of the earth and changed, we're going to have a body. We're going to have a soul. You don't need a conscience anymore because you already know all the right from wrong. You don't need the flesh is gone. The flesh is gone. Holy Spirit's gone. So what's left? Body, soul, and spirit. And that's why Paul writes, he says, May God preserve your body, soul, and spirit. Because that's what you're going to be forever.